Ace's the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. The timing on this was just about perfect with the Warriors having a day off between their game against the Jazz and the closing game of the regular season against the Lakers, and it also happened to be the launch date for Marcus Thompson's book on Stephen Curry, Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry. We had been talking about doing a podcast for a while. The timing on it worked out to record it today, which I thought was special. I've known Marcus for years, love him to death. And beyond him being really mean to me for 45 minutes, we have a really interesting conversation. We deliberately didn't plan much of it, went in a lot of different directions, a lot of it on Steph, but on other parts of what make the Warriors different, covering the team, and so many other things. I think you all will really enjoy it. So again, about 45 minutes. Thanks so much for coming on. You know, man, I'm just, I'm just happy you saw it fit for me to be on. You know, I, I haven't been invited before and I feel like this is a real milestone for me today. I like how you're starting this with not only confrontation, but with, with, a, with fake news, because I have, of course, had an open invitation to you to do this. We've, we've podcasted before, maybe not on Locked On Warriors, but today is, today not, is, not a, on Locked On. Yeah, t- today is a wonderful day to do it. Your book, Golden, released today. And I thought, you know, we'd, we'd been talking about doing this for a little while. And I, I figured no, ba- no day better than launch day to, to talk about this book. You know, uh, I wish you would have known me before I was a celebrity, though. Like, I don't know why you want to get me now that I'm big time. I wish you would have. I wish you would appreciated me when I was just a lowly beat writer. Fine, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I, I th- what, what I think is what I think is so fun about this for, from my end is that I mean. I'll, you you cover a lot of cover a lot of ground with this, but as somebody who's covered, you know, my first game with the Warriors was Steph Curry's first game at Oracle. The way that it kind of melds together both that time, which is more known, with some of the stuff that's earlier was interesting. And so like the first chapter, a lot of it is about the idea of Curry getting more aggressive. And that was not only a story of his time on the Warriors, it was a story before that. Remember when he couldn't shoot? Like, his first his rookie year, and something was wrong with his shot. Uh, and he wouldn't really take it. But I think he was just trying to prove, like, I'm a true point guard. That was his bent, like, early. I'm a true point guard. I'm unselfish. I can pass the ball. I can play point guard. Everybody was saying he wasn't athletic enough or wasn't big enough. And he was trying to prove that. It's crazy now to look back and think, like, Steph will take 200 threes. Take 200 threes right back then now it's like if he makes 200 threes like he's terrible and it's a terrible season so I I don't think people like you know obviously nobody watched the Warriors back then but people just don't remember those times how like it was like he he wasn't this dude it was a different he was a different player back then his rookie year, so if you scale it per 36 minutes, and you know he played a meaningful amount during that time, he attempted less than half as many threes 
per per 36 minutes as he's attempting right now. That's absolutely incredible when you consider how good he was. His his rookie year, he shot half as many threes and made 43.7% of them. Like, he was a really good shooter then. He just didn't take them. Because it wasn't about looking for his shot. Right. It was more about running a team, pleasing Monte, right? <laughs> uh, and the NBA was just different then. Like, the, the three-pointer at that point, for him especially, was like, I'm going to make you pay for leaving me open. If I get open, I'm going to stick a three. But it wasn't, I'm going to look for the three, right? I'm, I'm going to break the back of your defense with a three. It was, uh, I'm going to run a play, I'm going to try to attack, and if you leave me open, I'm going to stick a three. And I think when he decided to make that shift to say, I'm going to use the three-pointer as my primary weapon, I think that's when everything changed. But and here's the crazy part, like, all of his coaches at some point have tried to get him to shoot more and fail. Like, even in high school, his coach gave him a shot minimum. They were like, you got to take a minimum of five shots per quarter. And they, they set it at five because they knew he wouldn't get it. They really wanted four shots a quarter. But knowing that, knowing he wouldn't do it, they said, give me five so he could land safely at 16 shots a game. They had to coax him. Even Don Nelson had to coax him. Shoot, shoot. And it wasn't until Monte got hurt and the season was done that Don Nelson said, Steph, this is your team. Then he kind of got to be free and attacked the basket and played the game like like a preview to what we saw now. Right. And one of the big changes that, that has been more prevalent and Curry helped initiate this change in the NBA was that for a long time, so many three-pointers were catch and shoot like even you could think about Steve Nash Nash who's now uh, you know a, a consultant for the Warriors his jumper was good but he really only ever shot it when the ball came back to him he, he you know or if he was wide open and that was the other part with Curry over the you know especially the Curry years but also at the the kind of during Jackson's years that when they encouraged him to just hey if you're open if you can get it off the dribble just shoot it and that has opened up not only his game, but really, you know, guys like Damian Lillard and Harden and so many other players to really do that. And, and it's challenged defenses so much more than they used to. I mean, that's the beauty of the off the dribble three is that you have to guard it. And you can't say, I'm only going to guard the three point line with that. And, and, you know, Steph makes you come out to 28 feet, 30 feet. And, the ripple effect is like, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings over here and then something happens over here. The ripple effect of the pull-up three or the off-the-dribble three, uh, 28 feet from the basket, is magnificent, right? It is, it is significant, and it opens up so much stuff because just by extending the court and making the defense guard a couple more feet, it's usually – all of like the, 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 the space a great player needs to take advantage of, you know, like in a game of inches. It's like if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a half a step of capacity, I'm going to get by you. Well, Steph spreads the court so much that he just gives you that little bit of extra space that you need. And it really was revelatory. And now we see everybody doing it, which was a bad shot back then. We used to even say that that's a terrible shot. Especially the transition three. That was that was the worst shot. <laughs> it was. And and I think there was a good example of this in last night's game against the Jazz. So in that first half, the Warriors, I, I think Nate Duncan had the count. They only scored four points during the time that Curry sat, and then they scored 
think it was like 45 in the time that he played. And it's just, it's not only when his shot is falling and, you know, he had a good night last night, but the attention that he draws, partially because of the pull-ups and partially just because of his ability, it, it opens things up even when he's not playing his best because defenses can't control themselves when he's on the floor. Well, why do you think that is? Like, I know, so, like, we know that Steph... Uh, it's more efficient of a score because he shoots the three, right? And it's worth one more point what he does. So he can get, you know, 30 points and, you know, theoretically 10 shots and somebody else needs to make 15. But it's weird to me that they haven't adjusted to the panic because the panic is just as detrimental as him making the three. We see three guys jump at Steph because they're so panicky about it and it ends up being a dunk. Why is it taking so long for teams to have like a, you know, all right, it's a, it's a three, yeah, but maybe we should commit three players to them. Like, like, like that doesn't help us either. I've thought that for years. I, I think back even to the back when Miami played the Mavericks, you know, when Dirk was close to the peak of his powers and they were just sending guys at Dirk and it's like you know you're giving everybody else open shots and I mean Dirk is so he still would have scored his points you have to make that choice I think some of it probably comes from coaching some of it comes from pride because they don't want to be the team that gives up a bunch of points to Steph Curry and then part of it is just you know in basketball I mean we both we both played at various moments in our lives you you have that innate thing of like being aware of who the best player on the court is and trying to make sure they don't beat you and so some of it is just instinct and and that's what makes it so hard to to reconcile and to fix is that I think an element of it you can ever coach out but I'm I am interested to see whether that because the playoffs when you play the same team again and again that's when these things can change a little bit and obviously last year was colored by the MCL sprain and everything else that happened but we'll see you know this is a year the Warriors are probably going to play at least one probably two or three repeat opponents and we'll see if they if they handle it accordingly so so why do you think then I'm fascinated by this because Kevin Durant can shoot the three and he's the known scorer, but teams seem pretty content with single coverage on him. I know when he was with Oklahoma City, the Warriors were very content with putting one guy on him and, and living with what the result is. That might be 40, right? Or he might shoot a low percentage. Why, why doesn't Kevin Durant draw the same kind of, you know, we got to cover him, we got to cover him? To me, it's it's a lot of it is about Curry's ability to shoot off the dribble. I mean, you think about the worst case scenario on a possession because if if Curry gets a screen, especially for if it's from a guy like Draymond who actually makes contact on the screen, you you get into these worst case scenarios where Curry getting an open shot during that kind of mesh point on the screen, you know, that it's not going to go in every time, but it's going to go in a lot of the time. Whereas for Durant, because he's not involved in those actions as much, especially when when he was on Oklahoma City and their system was so much more stagnant, you didn't ha- you didn't create as many of those panic moments because you could just kind of stick with him. That's why I was so critical of what Oklahoma City did. And it's interesting because play, I, I think Clay Clay has benefited a lot from playing with Steph, but he doesn't get left open that much either. Though teams pretty much keep to him one to one. This is all like. I mean, it kind of shows to me like how Steph is kind of is a different level. I also think part of it is like the pass is live off that too, right? And you know, it, like it's it's one thing when you don't think the guy can get it to to somebody else, but you know, Steph is showing he can pass the ball. But it's just I think this is the Clippers effect, right? Like I don't think the the Clippers mind. I mean, I know they mind losing to the Warriors, but 
the real problem is, is the barrages. It's the the 15, 20 point Curry quarters that you know they just overreact to it. I, maybe it's not overreacting. Maybe they should, but he can get he can get you 15 in a blink, and it just makes people real panicky. And you don't see too many players kind of draw that out of defense. It just amazes me how many times. Good defenses will just be out of position. Players do what they normally don't do because they're scared to leave Steph open. And I just figure, I just feel like if they just, if everybody just calms down, you might, you might have a better chance of guarding them. And I think that's what Cleveland did in the finals, and it really worked. Yeah, it helped that he was limited, but I think part of that story. Yeah, no question. I think you can't say I, that, Danny. You can't bring up the beat. I, I can, I can do whatever it's I want. A rule. But I, I oh think, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. But but I think that. Part of it also is, I think back to that series in 2013 against the Spurs. So after they beat the Nuggets, they played the Spurs, and the Spurs ran a lot of trapping and were very successful. And a year later, you know, Curry improved over the course of that year, but the Clippers did a good job defending him in 2014 as well. I mean, Curry had a good series, but I thought the Clippers did a good job on him. And so maybe that kind of wrote the book on him, but then what happened was the next year won his first MVP, and he really grew his his game in terms of being able to pass out of that, being able to do it. And also the teammates around him got so much more adept at how to handle those circumstances, but the league never really caught up to that. And Durant in replacing Harrison Barnes is a great example of that change. You know what I think? Even the, the people who are looking at this Durant Curry, like quote unquote struggles, the part they're not seeing is that this is a, a three or four year plan. Because like what you just said about how Draymond and Clay and even Iguodala learn to take advantage of the space and the openness that, that Steph Curry creates. Like what happens when Kevin Durant figures that out? Like in year two, in year three, when they have such a rhythm and such an understanding that now Kevin Durant understands as a slasher, he's practically unstoppable. He's one step from a at any moment. He's, he's got nice touch. You know, if he if he's a finisher, he's the best finisher the Warriors have easily. Like, what happens when they kind of get that same chemistry that you see in Steph and Clay? Because I think that's part of why Steph welcomed Kevin Durant. I think he welcomed the one-two punch, like the the other guy that he could lean on. You know, because he you know he never really had that before, especially offensively. So that that's the part that might be a little like getting lost in all this is. Once Durant figures that out with, with with Curry, and in year two and year three, it becomes uh, second nature to them. Now that might be that might be truly cool. Well, yeah, and think back to when the Warriors won the title in 2015. Harrison Barnes and a few other guys talked about how they still, at that point, hadn't incorporated everything that Kerr wanted to do. So you think about just the elements of the offense and everything else, and that was a year into it, and those guys, for the most part, had played together for years. I mean, Barnes, Green, Azili, Clay, Steph, all those guys were drafted together. Not not necessarily in the same class, but they were all, they, they grew up together, and they still needed that adjustment time. Durant not only has years of habits with Oklahoma City, playing with a ball-dominant guy in Russell Westbrook, who you know, is my MVP, but is a very different type of guy than, than Curry is, than Draymond is. And I think that all goes to the idea that, that Draymond talked about, and I think this was probably in the pitch meeting, was, you know, think about what we can do together. And the idea of it being a three to four year plan also talks about the idea of how this group is going to age, because the Warriors were a spectacular team. I mean, they won 73 games last year, 
But as these guys get older, you kind of did see an expiration date on him. What Kevin Durant does is, he, yeah, maybe he did in, to a certain degree for a moment in time narrow it this year because they had to adjust. But what he does is he gives them viability for a lot longer. And by a lot longer, you mean until the new stadium opens. <laughs> I mean, I mean it through like, when the really new stadium matter. opens. I mean, we'll have to see. There, there are still lingering questions in terms of at some point, Clay and Draymond are going to hit unrestricted free agency. But the the thing that obsessed me with the idea of Curry and Durant playing together so long ago. I mean, this was something we talked about in the media rooms for years before anybody wrote a piece on it. Was the idea of having two MVP caliber players that were still in their primes, and we legitimately like as sports writers do not know how that's going to go because it has never happened before in the NBA. Yeah, and you know what? I think it's probably only working because of those two type of unique like MVP caliber players too. Cuz once you get most MVP guys are alpha males, they want the ball, they kind of dominate, they they go rogue, you know what I'm saying? Like they'll they'll, they'll go against the coach and they'll run their play. Like it, it almost had to be two guys like Durant and, and, and Steph, two guys who are who, who are okay at number two. Who you know, Durant does need the ball kind of bit, but I think he knows like he's good without the ball. Uh, it took somebody humble enough like Steph to say, "Yeah, come on through." I just don't know if it could happen. Could, could Harden and, and, and LeBron play together? You know, like that's. You start wondering about some of these other ones. It, it might have been a disaster. I don't know that it could always work just because the ego and most MVPs are like ball dominant, control, a, you know, a personalities. Well, think about the banana boat. I mean, I think part of the reason why those guys, you know, Dur- Dur- LeBron and Wade played together and eventually it worked out, but it took them a while. And none of the other guys have ever played together. And I think it's because they all want the ball in their hands. They want it to work. And yeah, if you could create a good enough team, like Chris Paul and LeBron playing together would be ridiculous. But I also don't think it would work. And the personality part of this is is important too. It's the game and it's the personality. Both Curry and Durant work on ball. They work off ball. And they have the personality where as long as the team is winning and they're getting, you know, and, and things are working out, they're cool with it. So one of the challenges that I've, I've kind of been dealing with this a little bit, you know, with, with my project, and I'm sure you're thinking about it as well, is that the unprecedented nature of these two guys playing together, and also, you know, the idea that that the personality of the team is also a lot, you know, Draymond and Kerr and other, other guys too. I think it's going to be hard to write about and analyze the legacies of these guys because of the idea of them playing together in this way. You mean in a sense that they will... They will partially like have sacrificed part of their legacy for to yeah, be together. I mean, as much as as much yeah. as Jordan, you know, it was un- it's unfair that Jordan and and Magic and Kobe get credit for basically staying with their same team and winning and winning a title and all that kind of stuff because they were in major markets and had amazing teammates. I'm sure for Durant that'll be a part of his legacy no matter what, whether the Warriors win zero titles or they win four. But with Steph, it's different. Like, I I think that, I I wonder about that because I remember with Dwayne Wade, he got, I I think he did get, his legacy did get a little bit underrated by being the number two guy on the title. And I mean, there is that argument with this team. I mean, I think Durant was the biggest MVP candidate, but due to his injury and everything else, maybe... Maybe there's a way to, to kind of thread this needle and say that they're they're both stars and everything else, but it's also going to take some time just to see where this goes. 
Well, we do have an affinity for, you know, the kind of brute team on your back, carry the road alone, you know, type of player. Uh, I, I don't know what it is about us, but if you just, if you look that part, if you grimace and you hold this kind of like hyperbolic, you know, disposition of toughness, then like fans gravitate to that, right? It's always like, oh, well, I did it by myself. I wonder if this team might, might change that, right? Like might be, might be the team that makes sacrifice, you know, uh, 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 like a, a good thing. Like, like will we remember Steph in the future for being humble enough to accept a star like KD, or will it be a notch? Like, I don't know. I think, I think, it, I think history will make us say, you know what, that was pretty amazing, and nobody's done that before. You don't see that very much. You usually see these super guys, these two tandems that are too big, break up, split up, right? But I, I just wonder if they'll make the intangible stuff cool again, like chemistry and sacrifice and, like, in a way, the Spurs did, but never made it cool. Like, I, I wonder I wonder about that. Like, because Draymond is all, has already made, like, defense in vogue, right? Like, like Kawhi is a great defender, but there's a certain, like, swag with it. And, he does, you know, he's the guy who gets a triple-double with no points or with four points. So I, I just wonder about that. I wonder about whether because of the, the type of guys they are, like, the narrative changes specifically for them. And we start to value some of the things that, that made them successful, like like sacrifice. One factor that really does run in their favor is that, particularly when they're at their best, this Warriors team is really fun to watch. And I think back to one of the problems for the Spurs was that those early teams, the definitive ones when you know Duncan won his first championship and actually more his second championship, those Spurs teams weren't nearly as engaging as their later ones. And so you kind of do cast your lot with some of those early perceptions. But if that's this year, the Warriors are fun to watch. And if it's two years ago when the Warriors won their title, that was one of the that was one of the most fan friendly teams that I've ever seen. Which probably made them like the most hated, right? <laughs> Eventually. Well, yeah, because they, they made this. Yeah, right? it, it was an amazing transition because they went from being from being like the fan favorites. And yet, even though they had the, the best record in the league that year, they were dogged. You know, the Spurs, the Spurs had won the title the past year. There was, you know, the lingering stuff with LeBron. And they won the title. And it was like, oh, that's a good story. You know, a million people could show up at the parade. Then the next year, with pretty much the same team, they go 73 and 9 and people go, "Oh, this is a this is dynasty, this isn't fun, they're ruining the league." And so then they then the, the it turned on them. Then it turned even harder when they when they blew the 3-1 lead and then they build on that by saying by becoming the supervillains, by getting the best free agent since LeBron went took his talents to South Beach. And so it it really shifted in about a calendar year and it's incredible. It it is especially when you add the piece about like the franchise was terrible for so long, right? I mean, it's really the ultimate rags of riches story for a franchise, but like they got too rich. Well, what hap- <laughs> you, what happened is you know, like, I, I think the perception, and I would love to talk to people outside of the Bay Area, outside of our little bubble for this, is that somehow I think the way that some people rationalized it was the Bay Area shifted from being this like small tortured market to being a big market overnight, despite nothing else changing. You know, like basically they were like, oh, yeah, that's right. The Bay Area is this big place and they have Silicon Valley. and They have all this stuff. They're an establishment team. You know, maybe they don't have the history of the Lakers and Bulls, but or the Celtics. But 
hey, look at that. And so I think it allowed them to become more of a behemoth. Like, I mean, to me, maybe it's just being here. I think this team, people relish in this team's failure more than people did with the Heat, though maybe that's just recency bias. You know, I, I tend to agree, but also, you know, make room for the, you know, the recency bias. But yeah. people did hate and LeBron. That people did hate LeBron in twenty eleven. They did hate them. Yeah, they, they did hate them. But so here, here's the thing: like people hated that Heat team and LeBron, like outside of Miami. But a lot of people outside of Miami love them too. And I'm, I, I wonder: do the Warriors have a love outside of the Bay? Like where? Like you got all these markets that you know, that really despise them, like Cleveland, you know, Oklahoma City, you know, L.A. loves the Warriors, right? That's that's evident in every cover game. But it just seems like, you know, a lot of this is dictated by social media, too, which is probably not an accurate representation of, you know, the, the totality of fans. But it just it just seems like, you know, the Bay, I don't think the Bay disliked the Miami Heat. Right? I think people like LeBron. Well, especially because the it. Warriors weren't relevant yet. You know, they weren't they weren't taking yeah, any right. they weren't taking any titles away from the Warriors in 2012. The Warriors weren't weren't Absolute. even close to that. Well, I think that uh, there are a couple of good calibrators for it. One, they get a ton of now a ton of jerseys in the visiting arenas and and cheers and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, they do. They and then do. they also and you Steph, know the the numbers uh, came out today. Like Steph had the number one jersey. I think Durant was third or fourth. The team had the team was number one in jersey sales. Like. Yeah, some of that is because they're good and because they have popular players. But another part of it is just, you know, people watch this team. People talk about this team. And inevitably, that means some people like them. Yeah, you, yeah you're right about that. There there are some benchmarks that let you know they are liked. Like when you go to an opposing game, like Dallas used to be one of those places that was so like Mavs heavy. You know, it was almost like a Utah where you knew it was going to be loud and crazy. But now you go to a Mavericks game, and it's a bunch of Warriors fans. It's like half Warriors fans in there. Well, I'm gonna uh, make so, a, I'm gonna make a comparison that I think you're gonna like. So, uh-oh. I think back to in when I started covering the team in, in 09, 2010, That was what it was like when the Lakers came to Oracle. That's yes, what was. the Warriors are now. They're the event team. They're the one that if you want to if you want to see the Warriors, that's your shot. And so you you also get those people who are going to pay the high high tickets often on the secondary market to to go to those games and it totally changes the feel. You know, you have this this big fight thing and then you also get the ones where that r- ratchets up and we remember this from those old Warriors Lakers games. It ratchets up the home fans because they're bitter about all these other people that are in their building. And you know the uh the Warriors played that too. You know, the Warriors like they would sell season ticket packages based on who was coming to town, right? You I know, had one. In, like, in, in 2008-09, I had a partial ticket plan so I could see LeBron. So you going to make amends for that or what? Like, Can we talk about how you were, uh, you know, a mini ticket plan and you came to see LeBron and the Celtics and all that? Like, Is that is that okay or what? Hey, I chose, you I, 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 pay, I paid money to see Jamal Crawford play on the Warriors. I don't need to apologize for anything. Did, was it the game he dropped 50? Sadly, it was not. You, you, that you that would have been your money there. Yeah. God, that team, that 0809 team would have. Well, you covered that team. That team was so weird. Yep. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, and I think I think Maggetti, that's a, that, right? Yeah, Maggetti, uh Kalena was on that team. A lot of different guys were on that team. That but, was so. That was after. Yeah, that, I remember that. That was the year after you know the quote unquote we believe team broke up. Right. That was yeah, yeah, that was that was the year that, at, that was the year after it all fell apart. That was after Baron left. That was after you know. Th- Stack Jack was still there. 
but yeah, well, that was that was a strange team, and I think that's Not a good that's, <laughs> that's a good way of of turning into just kind of we talked we alluded to this before, but part of the reason why I think Curry is such a is such a beloved figure in the Bay Area is that while it wasn't him alone, his presence helped fundamentally transform the most beaten down franchise in the Bay Area, one of the most beaten down franchises in all of North American professional sports. And that's no small feat. That doesn't happen very often. Does it happen ever? I'm trying. LeBron did <laughs> I'm it. To think of who, who did oh, Yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. LeBron did it this time though, right? It was not the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think you could say, well, so because I mean the Niners had been competitive before Montana, so I mean he he kind of gets some of that, and and the Giants were you know they were relevant for periods of time at, at moments. Like I'm trying to think because yeah, I mean also it, it just so happens that a lot of the, the places where teams kind of like went through a big bump, like the Celtics big three, you know the Celtics won plenty of championships, so that doesn't really get into it. But like the Warriors, it's not it's not that they were uncompetitive or something like that they were a terrible horribly run organization for decades before that i mean they had great moments i mean you lived it i've been writing about it for a while now but all of those were short-lived and 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 even then like i mean the we believe team is a great example of this the we believe team their height was they they got the eight seed and won one series. Like yeah, that's a great accomplishment. It was wonderful. But what they are now is so fundamentally different from that. And that was the high watermark for a decade. A decade, and before that, it was Run TMC, which they won fifty games and <laughs> and exited in the first round or the second round. Second round. So. Like at no point, like you got to go back to '75 to find some legitimate, you know, uh, success. The rest of it is, you know, moral victories in, in that sense. It's wow, it's the Rudy story. It's like look at us, we won a series, uh, and that's it's just crazy that how all that is so different now. Now it's championship or bust. That team, that team, that franchise where you are legendary if you win one playoff series. Now is like if you don't win a title, it's a failure. Like that's crazy when you think about it. Remember how weird it was when we were in the home locker room that first playoff series against the Nuggets, and there were all these people there, and we're like, "Where did all these people come from?" Now that would be a light day for us. You know, uh, you don't do any work anyway, so, so, so it really is a light day for you. When did you start doing work? I've been doing work my whole life, my friend. <laughs> but that's actually not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I. It, it's different. I mean, that was I mean early on when we were when we when we knew each other. You were beat writer. You were grinding each day, and I was just basically there as a as a kind of a thing from law school. That changed a couple of years ago, but but yeah, I mean, I just I just noticed that sea change in, in like kind of in the way the team was covered that I felt fa- I've always found interesting. You know, uh, especially since you know I was there like before all these people were there, I found it to be a little bit easier. You know, I think. I think the relief of knowing I'm not a new face like helps, especially with all these new people in their face. You know, obviously they're new players, so they don't know me either. But you know, the the old faithfuls are like, man, you know, I, I can talk to you. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm comfortable, so I find it to be easier in that in that vein. So now I don't have to uh, like I don't have to do as much like ground building, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, 
I like this, as a matter of fact. I like this. I like that everybody is uh, like clamoring, trying to get minutes, and I, I don't have to clamor so much. I'm an OG. Plus, being an OG, you have the ability, you have the connections with guys like Steph to make projects like this possible. No, uh, next though, right? What? Aren't you next? <laughs> well, next mine's mine, right? My project is entirely different from yours, and and I mean that in I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, I'm I'm blown away by your ability to write 250 engaging pages about a single subject because I have to bounce around a hundred different times to make it work. He said, I, "So that hundred different times was a great choice of words." <laughs> I like that. That was pretty good. You know, uh, I, I had my concerns about whether I could make a book out of Steph because, number one, like, what's the controversy, right? What's the what's the climactic uh, challenge that he had to face? And is that something people want to read? Really, it's his ankle, right? That was the major boogeyman. Uh, but what, what I found was there's there's a lot there, even though on the surface, it might not look like a lot there. Like when you when you stack him up to other NBA players, it might not look as as juicy, you know, as the other as the other lives. But there's still a lot there. Just you know, there's a lot there in his normalcy. You know, there's a lot there in how all this has happened so fast. So as I got the writing, I was like, you know what? There's there's quite a bit here. And uh, one of our buddies, Ethan Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Why do I always say the Sherwood? Ethan Strauss. Uh, he said I should have wrote more. I'm like, dude, stop being greedy. <laughs> but there, there was a. Uh, I was surprised at the the depth there, and and like, there's more to Steph than you think. Because really, he's kind of boring, like compared to other other players. Like, like you you expect a, a guy who's rich, who has all that access and all that like uh, adoration, to probably be a little bit more hype. You know what I'm saying? Like a little bit more wild. You know, Steph is going home to play on the carpet with Riley and Ryan. So <laughs> he might go get cheeseburgers with Drake from In-N-Out, but that's about as wild as it gets. That's always been something I've been fascinated by with him because going back to that, you know, 2010 season when there were very few people in the locker room, he still had those instincts. You know, he's the same guy that he was then. And I mean, he and I had extended conversations back when you could actually do that about losing because that year... <laughs> That year, they had done a lot of losing, and he had the, the quote that always sticks in my brain is that it was, I think it was like March of that year, he said, I've lost more games this year than high school and college combined. And, you know, it did bother him, and, and it was it was in a human way, but at the same point, his PR instincts, and I think a lot of this is growing up around it with, with Dell and everything else, his PR instincts yep. have always been absolutely impeccable, and he knows he knows that when he's speaking... It, it goes around the world and people are thinking about it. People are analyzing it. And, and he, he incorporates that into what he says in a very direct way that a lot of players have to learn by making mistakes. And that's the, that's your version of saying Steph doesn't say anything controversial, but if you read into what he's saying, you get exactly what, what he's trying to say. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's why it's useful that the team has Draymond to kind of provide that, to provide the audio subtext. <laughs> no question. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I probably, you know, if I was going to write more, I probably would have wrote more about the Curry-Draymond relationship. Actually, I had like 30,000 words hijacked after they lost, and I had to rework it. Uh, so, so I did have a lot of Draymond stuff in there. 
especially from the first championship. But like they 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 work together in a way that's pretty unique. Uh, and in many ways, they couldn't be more opposite. <laughs> but like we look at Draymond's game and we say, man, he's he's benefiting from Steph, and that's true. He'll even say that, but. Steph benefits a lot from his presence. And I, I I know you remember this, like when Steph was young, a rookie, second year, and even though he's like a lottery pick and one of the you know, one of the core players, like his his closest people was were Dealey call ups. You know, he was hanging out with CJ Watson and Anthony Tolliver, you know, and Chris Hunter, like that's who he hung with. Meanwhile, like Monte was with Jack or you know, it was just He's he's always been that more reserved type and and seeded to the uh, the more vocal the more uh, oh, boisterous type leaders and in this situation he just happened to have one uh, again who kind of like lets him it's it, like makes it cool for him to not have to be the one to talk all the time now he's improved like he he does more talking than he used to but like Draymond can handle that a lot and anybody who knows. Draymond knows you, you got to fight for the microphone around him anyway. So, so, so Steph likes that. And, and in many ways, many more than just that, Draymond has been a, a great help to uh, Steph's career. So it's no coincidence that when he became a starter, all this really took off. They have such a symbiotic relationship, both on and off the floor, and it it ties in. We talked about how unusual the Curry-Durant dynamic is. The Draymond-Curry dynamic is, is in some ways even more interesting because Curry did not occupy the airspace that Draymond wanted and some would argue needed, both on the floor and off the floor. And yeah, I mean, Draymond, not only on the defensive end, I'm sure people will interpret that as, oh, Draymond covers up for some of Curry's mistakes on defense. No, they're, the way that it works on pick and rolls, Curry drawing attention helps Draymond, but Draymond being able to make the right pass changes the way that teams defend Curry. And, like, that's so evident when you just go from the Steph-David Lee pick-and-roll to the Steph-Draymond pick-and-roll, right? Like, just how how those worked out just shows you when... And, and his trip part is just different. Like, I, I wrote about this in a book, how, like, Steph has never really had that, that number two, which I think was part of the reason he went for Durant. Now, people will say Clay is his number two. First off, it took Clay a long time to get here, right? <laughs> Clay was up and down, as up and down as they get. But also, his game wasn't like a takeover type game. But for the longest time, there was nobody. Steph didn't have anybody who he could say, I don't have it tonight. I need you to take over. Like, he didn't have that. And I thought, I think that was his draw for, for Kevin Durant. But the steal, the one two punch with him and Draymond. It's not that type, but they win with it. They won a championship with it. They won 73 games because of that relationship, because of how they mesh on the court. So it's, it's a real unique one-two punch. I was, trying to try, I was trying to think of one like it. I was thinking of Jordan Pippen, but Pippen was, uh, you know, he was an offensive creator, and he was one who at least thought, you know, man, I can take this game over, right? Why are you giving the ball to Tony Kukoc? But just one guy where it's like, all right, man, you dominate offense. I got the defense. And how we work is going to be intertwined on both ends of the court because Steph can dig, right? He digs. He loves digging down on, on bigs, uh, unassuming bigs. And then on the other end, like he's the, Draymond's Steph's outlet for the pick and roll. Like how they have worked together from Draymond throwing grapes at people, talking crazy to Sonya Curry, right? <laughs> it's just like how 
how they have managed uh, to be that one-two punch is 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 really a, an interesting story on its own because you, you just don't see it that often. Like maybe maybe LeBron and Tristan, I'm trying. They're not. It, it it doesn't really just, happen, and I think part of the reason why it's so unusual and why it ended up working for the Warriors is that those guys came up together. Even though they weren't the yeah. same draft class or anything like that, they built their dynamics before they were both successful. And you know, it's kind of yeah. like a it's kind of like a band. You know, like the bands that were friends, like you two. I think this is true. They were friends before they were famous. And they already had their dynamics established and all that. And it also happened, in their case, with the Warriors, that Curry and Draymond's games fit together like their personalities fit together. And so it, it created this ecosystem that they'd already built. And all it did was it, it just got on a bigger stage and it still worked. And that dynamic, I think, is also part of what made Durant work because Curry had already been around somebody who was kind of a dominant figure. And Durant was actually kind of more like Curry in terms of his personality of being somebody who would dominate when he wanted to, but could could kind of flow within the team. And those two guys, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, they're distinct in the MVP race. And you brought up Clay. I think Clay's an interesting part of this because Clay can dominate and people I'm sure will hear when, when you talked about that, be like, hey, Clay can do that. But Clay is an entirely different thing because you can't give him the reins. He just takes him when he's feeling it and then you just let it ride. You know, Clay, I think Clay makes all this work, right? Because like think about it if clay didn't have his mindset how like how how is this not drama <laughs> right how is this not a problem in a locker room like him and steph were the backcourt together and then all of a sudden steph takes off clay's perfectly fine with it then draymond takes off clay's perfectly fine with it then they go and get kevin durant clay's still fine with it like he does his work he steadily improves and it, it's it's cool. Like you bring in whoever you want. I'm gonna get mine. I know people took that initially as like there's gonna be beef, but no, that's Clay's disposition. His like almost indifference to that stuff is what allows a Draymond to flourish without having to split this up. You know, it allows Steph to kind of take over uh, without having to deal with the same issues you had with Monte and, and Curry. So, and we just don't see this in teams where, like, remember Chris Bosch had to sacrifice a lot, like, and he was a, you know, he was a great, like, like, we look at Chris Bosch, like, man, you know, I respect that he did that. And he started doing the dirty work. The Warriors got like three of those guys. <laughs> it just, it's just weird. I think, but Clay is really a good tone setter with that. You don't ever hear Clay complaining about anything. He's, he's going to do what he does. And it's kind of spacey, but he steadily improves his game. He's reliable now, and he's not at all bothered by this other stuff. And it all feeds into the same idea of an ecosystem, because I'm sure that on other teams, the way that Clay operates, as much as it helps, as his easygoing nature helps a lot of this work, also the idea of having like a player who has the ability to score 37 and a quarter, to score 60 and three quarters, and him not kind of having that every single game for certain other teams it totally wouldn't work but with the Warriors they kind of they know that that boom bust with him and they know how to kind of how to run those cycles to their advantage and I think a lot of that came from experience as well no question now imagine if uh like if that was required of him every night <laughs> well I mean he, the, be... the thing the thing that I, I go back to with that right. though is that when when Curry was out not not the games when he was limited but when he was out last year in the playoffs that was the best run of Clay's career 
And as much as Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals is is one of his definitive moments, that run of like five games when Curry was out, the end of the Houston series, I think it was four games, the end of the Houston series, the beginning of the Portland series, was absolutely incredible. And I, I had to totally recalibrate the way I thought about Clay because I had originally thought, oh, you know, if, if he had gotten traded to Minnesota and had to shoulder that load, he, he, he couldn't have done it. You know, they, he's in the perfect spot for himself. But in that, he's like, well, maybe not. I'm, I'm with you. It, 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 it earned a chapter in the book. Like, it, the, the, the part about it that was, you know, that I thought was unique was like how Curry leaned on him and like he hadn't had that before. Uh, he, you know, he didn't have it and Clay had it. And he's like, Clay, go do your thing. And you know what? Like, I want you to shine right now. And that, that was an experience he had not had, you know, since basically Mark Jackson took over and the team was his, like there was nobody else. He could say, this is the biggest moment of our lives. And I, and I want, I need you right now. And for him to be able to do that and for Clay to answer the bell, like that definitely made me, that definitely boosted Clay up a notch, uh, not just because he made the shots, but because of when he made them and, and how Curry said, I need you. And he answered the bell. And I don't know if Clay could have done that two years ago. As a matter of fact, he didn't do it in the previous finals where they kind of needed him and he wasn't like, he couldn't make shots. He couldn't get shots. Uh, and they, and, and Steph and, 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 and uh, Andre Iguodala had to figure out how to do it. But in that series, Clay, Clay became like a bona fide all-star. Like that was his moment. It's amazing how this group that has been together so long and has these established dynamics can continue to surprise. I mean, I'm even getting that with Iguodala this last, these last couple months. I was like, I never knew he still had this in him. <laughs> what, what is he on? <laughs> he had a putback last game. I'm like, when does that happen? <laughs> when is he in traffic, like jumping, putting dunks back? Like, Andre is uh, if he's playing like this in the playoffs like for me he's the one that makes them unbeatable like he's the one where it's like All right, if you get that from Andre like there's just no there's no way to beat them because you fo- you gotta focus so much energy on Steph and, 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 and Durant and Clay and Draymond now if Andre's killing you like what's left now you got the fifth best guy guarding him yeah, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous it's demoralizing well, I I, th- I think we've we've gone far enough afield in a in a great way, but I I, I think the best way to to end this is just to let people know how, they can pretty much get the book everywhere now, right? Because I know you got like fifty in the trunk, and you're selling them for eighty dollars a book. Yeah, but that's the super special edition that only I have. Oh, okay, I mean, but you should sell them though. You're gonna keep them for. We'll see. We'll see. Uh-huh. But. Yeah, so you're, otherwise, you're doing, uh, are there any, I know you're doing an event in Burlingame tonight. Are there any other events that fans who listen to this in like the first day or two that it comes out, if they want to come to come interact with uh, being your, being your glowing presence in person that they can do that? Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so I'll be at book passage in San Francisco at the ferry building, uh, at six o'clock on Friday. And on Thursday, I'll be at diesel on college Avenue, right down the street from Claremont middle school where I was the man. And uh, I'll be there at 7 o'clock. So we got two other opportunities to come holler at me. Otherwise, it's tonight at Dunk Contest in Burlingame. Or see me in these streets. You know, I might have a book or two. <laughs> Knowing you, I, I bet you will. Or people can bring their book to you. 
No, I'm cool with all that. You got to come to the book signing because there I'm not go. signing autographs. <laughs> You're beyond that now. Well, I, I, I'm so happy for you. You know so, what I'm saying? I, I, I don't think I can say... Before I was an author. I don't think I can say I'm proud of you because you're you you you're far beyond me in all this but i i'm i'm so happy for your success and and thrilled to see this all this work come to fruition thank you sir and uh i'm ready for you to be next i'm looking forward to it thanks again to marcus thompson for taking the time to come out of what was certainly a busy and special day for him you can read him at the bay area news group you can also read his book golden the miraculous rise of steph curry which came out today April April 11th. I know what day it is. And you can follow him on Twitter at Thompson Scribe. That's T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-S-C-R-I-B-E. Love talking with Marcus. Known him for years and started the book today. I've been knee deep in my own. I got the advanced copy of it like two weeks ago, but I've been knee deep in my own and I've really enjoyed it so far. The first chapter is very interesting talking about kind of the assertiveness thing that we actually began the podcast with before we went on a million other different topics. But I love the conversation, thought it was so much fun. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Tomorrow's timing might be a little bit different because I'm not going to be watching as much of the Warriors game live due to almost every team in the NBA playing at the same time. And Nate Duncan and I are doing the Twitter NBA show second screen. So we're actually going to be bouncing between a lot of the different games. So it's going to be a different experience. It's kind of like having us as your red zone is kind of the analogy we're using so far. So you can check that out as well. Follow Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter or Periscope. And you can check that out. Twitter NBA show second screen. We'll probably do some of the Warriors, but it'll just depend on what's interesting. And of course, my work for the Jazz, Locked on Warriors, you you can hear in the normal ways, but then I also wrote about it for The Athletic. You can check that out as well. And yeah, it was, it was a strange game. So I, I still haven't completely pieced together. Sounds like Draymond Green and Andre Guadalla are both going to get DNP rests tomorrow for the Laker game. I don't think that makes a whole lot of difference, but for some people who have money on the, on this situation, it is interesting because the Warriors are right at the thre- threshold for their over-under because it was 66 and a half wins and they're at 66. I expect that they will win that game, especially since the Lakers are going to be on a back-to-back with traveling and everything else, and we'll see, but it'll be... It'll be interesting in its own way and then we'll immediately switch into playoff mode i don't know exactly the timing of how everything's going to work hoping to do something with eric gunderson of locked on blazers before the series but we're still working on that we both have busy schedules so we'll see but of course locked on warriors will still go strong throughout that time thank you so much to everybody for listening now and hopefully continuing to in the future if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent at danny larue on twitter or more are preferred Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com if you take the time to write it I'll take the time to read it but I do not promise that I will have the time to respond due to everything else that's going on if you want to support the show lots of great ways you can do it leave a rating leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing it's a great way for people to connect with it and also subscribe download every episode because that matters to advertisers and it it helps you know it, it really it really does and i say that with every podcast you enjoy it's a small thing but it really does help so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day